So hello everybody and welcome to the Blood Cancer UK session today um, where we're going to be looking at vaccine effectiveness, managing the uncertainty. Um, my name is Kate Keatley and I am the Head of Support and Service Development here at Blood Cancer UK um, and I'm going to be hosting our session. Um, just a bit of background why we are um, hosting a session like this. Um, but we, on our support services, we have been absolutely inundated with questions, um, which is completely understandable, about the vaccination programme and what this means to the, um, to the blood cancer community, particularly considering the fact that we're hearing more and more about the, um, un uh, how effective the vaccine is um, for many of our community um, who are immunocompromised or immunosuppressed. Um, so we as an organisation are doing a huge amount of work in this area to try and understand that more um, and what that might mean um, and uh, looking to bring together um, our research network to answer some of the questions that our community are posing to us. Um, and we are absolutely dedicated to keeping our community up to date um, with our progress here. Um, but while we are talking about kind of the progress that's been done here, we're very aware that there is a lot that we don't know um, about the effectiveness um, of the vaccine. And that's something that we know our community is struggling with on, on many different levels, which is why we've brought together the panellists that we have for the session today. And I am joined by some fabulous colleagues that I want to um, ask to introduce themselves. Um, here before we start. So I will pass over to uh, Andy first for an introduction. Hi, thanks. So my name's Andy Pettit. I'm a, um, a blood cancer doctor and researcher from Liverpool. Thank you very much. Um, and Christian, can we come to you next? Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Christian Williams and I'm a clinical psychologist. I work in the Hemato Oncology Service at King's College Hospital in London. Thank you very much. Um, and Precious? Thanks, Katie. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Precious. I'm a Bloodwise Ambassador. I had chronic myeloid leukemia, so I'm here to give the patient's perspective. Great. Thank you very much indeed. Um, and today we're going to be talking about all sorts of things, including um, vaccine delivery, vaccine effectiveness, mutations, and what all of these questions mean around understanding risk. Um, decision-making through uncertainty and anxiety around life getting back to some degree of normality and what that might mean for, um, for our community. So I think we need to get going. Um, so I want to come to Christian first, um, because whilst we know more and more about coronavirus and the vaccination programme, there have been so many issues and so many new things for our community to think about and manage over the past year. Um, and long periods of uncertainty in between um, all of that. So could you just set the scene for us a little bit and give us an overview about why this makes decision-making and feelings of anxiety so common um, and, and challenging for people? Uh, yeah, of course. So um, I think the first thing to say is that people feeling anxious at the moment, that's that's normal, that's healthy. It's still difficult, but it's a very, very understandable response to the situation uh, that we're in at the moment. Um, there's, you know, an entire psychology uh, kind of evidence base that suggests all of our anxiety. Anxiety comes from a point of uncertainty. And at the moment, 
we are being asked to sit with a huge amount of um, uncertainty on something that is big. It's it's not a trivial matter. It's you know can be kind of life and death. Um, so it's very understandable that people are feeling uh, anxious at the moment. I think it's also really important to acknowledge that um, we've been doing this for a long time. This is a long time to have a, a raised experience of anxiety and um, anxiety is our internal threat system and uh, it's effective but it's also uh, not really it was designed for when we lived in a fundamentally different time it was you know when we were running around fighting saber-toothed tigers and the idea of it what it was designed for is you get yourself into a situation where you're in danger and it's this deeply unpleasant, physically horrible sensation that just makes you want to leave. It's that fight, flight, freeze response. It was designed to kind of be in short, sharp bursts. And actually, as um, as our environments changed, and particularly in the pandemic, um, people are having a lot more of these feelings, a lot more heightened for a long period of time. And that's really difficult because what it can do is give us tunnel vision because when you're in an anxious state, your brain is saying, we just need to get out. We need to get away from this feeling. It's awful. And it um, doesn't entirely shut down, but it slows down other processes that um, we're normally able to do. So how we problem solve, um, how we can balance our kind of the logical bit of our brain and the emotional bit of our brain, that's much harder when we're in a state of anxiety. Um, there's a model uh, called the three emotional regulation systems that suggests we have an anxiety drive, uh, sorry, an anxiety system, a drive system, and a soothe system. And when everything's going well, we move between those three emotional states, emotional um, conditions, depending on what the situation we're in. And I think the thing that's really important to um, comment on is that we're being told that we need to be worried. We're being told that there's something out there that's scary. And all of a sudden, all those things that we do automatically without thinking, going to the shop, hugging your mum, all of those things we're being told are dangerous. So we should be feeling more anxious anyway. And secondly, um, the, our anxiety system is very automatic. It just comes online because um, it wants to protect you. So it doesn't want you to have to stop and think, do I need to be worried about this? It works on a better safe than sorry principle. So it just turns on. Our drive system, which is about achieving things, and our soothe system, which is about calming and being in the moment, they take much more active input. And the things that normally help move us into those two systems, uh, things like doing hobbies, seeing friends, um, having a hug, um, and those are things that, because of the lockdown, have been taken away for a lot of um, people. And it's actually it's the soothe system that normally acts as the brakes on the um, anxiety system or that threat system. So not only is our threat system being activated, also also normally the thing that balances it out and calms it down, that's much harder um, <clears throat> to to get into that state. It takes a lot of work. Um, and that, of course, makes planning, thinking, considering, balancing all those risks really difficult because your threat system is being really loud and telling you this is dangerous. We just need um, 
to get out. And again, I know I mentioned it, but the length of time that we've been doing this for, that people have been managing these difficult um, feelings, that really, that has an impact. It kind of turns into Chinese water torture after a while. It just keeps um, going. So I think it's a very understandable way people have been feeling and um, not giving yourself a hard time about thinking that you're not being as effective as normal or you're not making decisions in the way that you normally would or that you're finding yourself being overwhelmed more often. Um, it's really difficult. And I'm not saying that this is um, a, an understandable response to try and minimise it or say that it's nothing. But I think it's really important that people know that this is how your brain's programmed to work. And it's because we are dealing with a very difficult situation. It's not because there's something wrong or you should be coping better. Mm -hmm. That's really reassuring to bring out some of those um, messages, Christian, and to think about the reasons why this period of time, this prolonged period of time is, is so challenging emotionally, as well as um, kind of on a, on a clinical and, and health uh, from a health perspective. Um, and, and I wanted to um, think a little bit uh, or talk to you, Precious, in particular, just around the, the decision making around actually getting the vaccination in the first place. Um, so before we start talking about effectiveness, actually getting the vaccination um, it, it is the first decision. And I think at the start of the year, we were absolutely overwhelmed with the number of questions that we had from our community around the safety um, aspect of, of getting the vaccine and uh, people asking whether I should get um, get the vaccine on this treatment or with this blood, blood cancer and all of those kinds of questions and we've answered a lot of those questions um, from from many people and, and we strongly encourage everyone to with blood cancer to get that vaccine um, but we recognize that there are still some people in our community struggling with the decision um, and I know that was something that you struggled with initially too, Precious. So I wanted to ask you a bit about your concerns and, and think about what helped you to make that decision. So I, <laughs> I think the best way to describe myself would be a very slow adopter. Um, I had no intention of getting this vaccine um, simply because I didn't feel I had enough information. Um, I remember uh, one time I, I went in to see a consultant because I had a side effect from chemo and whatnot and he suggested Botox and I was like there's no way I'm having Botox and you know I'm not having any Botox for any reason simply because I didn't feel there was enough research behind Botox because uh, I just thought you know I don't want to wake up in in a few years time with frozen body parts um, because I you know I don't feel that there's enough uh, research behind it so you can imagine my thoughts about the vaccine. I just thought way, way, way too early. I'm not having it. don't want any side effects. Uh, and I just felt I had enough things done to my body and I just needed a break. Uh, and I wanted to see what, you know, I wanted to see the long-term effects and the people who went for it first. So to, just to see if people had extra ears or extra pair of hands, you know, just so I could justify not having, having the vaccine. Uh, Secondly, I don't know if you've noticed I'm black and the black and ethnic minority community are not, are not early adopters when it comes to these things. Uh, we have so many, you know, I, I had leukemia, so it was a hard job getting a stem cell donor. In the end, we actually had to settle for my, uh, my younger brother because I realized uh, we don't have enough uh, black and Asian, 
Asian people on the stem cell register, we're not very good at giving body parts or, you know, stem cells or anything. Uh, so there was this cultural thing as well going on behind the scenes. Uh, as the community is not something we do, we're not very trusting of, you know, of institutions. Uh, also, I think faith-wise, um, I, I mentioned to you my mom, you know, she's very anti-COVID, anti you know, I had a conversation with her this morning and I was literally begging her to wear a mask. And she just kept saying, no, no, I'm not wearing a mask. <laughs> you know, she's in Africa, by the way. I'm not wearing a mask, I don't need it. And then she just went into this long drama about the vaccine, just saying, you know, she's not gonna get it because she doesn't know what's in it. And, you know, she went the religious route as well. You know, you know she's been reading, you know, I get these messages on WhatsApp every day from my mom. And she keeps sending all these weird things, you know, <laughs> people saying there's some weird Lucifer DNA in the vaccine, which means if you take it, you know, your chances of making it to heaven are really, you know, really small. Uh, yeah, so there was that. And so I think we actually had a, a little conversation around the vaccine. I don't know how she picked that, that one up. And she kept asking me, you know, saying, have you taken the vaccine? I don't want any of my kids to have the vaccine. And I thought, oh, OK, uh, let's let's say nothing on that subject. But that was uh, that's the world I, I you know. That's the world I'm from. That's the world I know. Uh, conversations I have with my friends, you know, no one wants to take the vaccine. Um, so when I eventually got that text message, I was actually scared. Uh, and I just thought, actually, maybe, you know, I've been shielding for a year now. And I did think, okay, maybe you need to have this vaccine to protect yourself and other people. Uh, so what I did, instead of reaching out to my community, I reached out to my Bloodwise family because there were people who had walked in my shoes. There are people who've had cancer. They've had to think about this vaccine and they've had to make decisions. So I did put something out on Facebook uh, and asked for help. And people actually talked to me and responded to me. And I spoke to people in the medical profession as well. Uh, when I actually went to have my vaccine, I was vaccinated by an Asian doctor. For some reason, that was important for me because, it, you know, that was someone from the same community. So I was able to just sit him down and ask a million questions before making up my mind to have that vaccine. Thank you, Precious. I think that's really important to understand the complexities um, of concerns from, from people from all kinds of different backgrounds and, and their experiences and how they've grown up to understand um, how these, um, uh, how vaccinations might work and, and affect um, people. But I think understanding your journey through that um, was really helpful and kind of pointing out the, the importance of peer-to-peer -peer support and also that support from your healthcare team um, is something that we would absolutely um, agree with. Andy, I wanted to bring you into that conversation actually as well and just um, get your thoughts on guidance that you were giving your patients um, about this issue and if you had a message for people who might still be hesitant um, about getting the vaccine? Sure. I guess anything I say is going to sound rather simplistic against um, what, what Precious has very effectively and eloquently sort of captured in terms of the, the complexity of the decision-making that, that, that needs to take place. So from my, I guess, from my purely uh, medical perspective, there, there are two, two things to think about, really, in, in, in terms of vaccine decisions. There's the question of how safe it is and the question of how effective it's going to be. And I suppose the pragmatic issue of, of considering 
um, the, the risks of either having it or not having it. So, so everything in life is a balance of risks. There's a risk. Every decision you make has a risk of going one way or, or the other. And it's, it's a question of finding the path forward that carries the least overall risk. So in terms of the safety, um, we know that patients with blood cancer um, in general have a, a weakened immune system. There's a lot of variation between different patients, depending on what disease they've got and what treatment they've had and how, how long ago the treatment was. Uh, but but as a, as a rule of thumb, we advise uh, avoiding live vaccines in blood cancer, uh, in, in patients with blood cancer. But the COVID vaccines are not live in the sense that they don't replicate, they don't divide. Um, so although um, there's very limited information specifically in, in patients with blood cancer, there's no reason to think that they should be any more uh, you know, risky or have any more side effects in, in that population. So I think that's a really important sort of take home message. Um, there are uh, questions in, in relation to how effective they might be, um, and there are reasons to think that they might not be as effective in some, at least in some patients with, with blood cancer compared to healthy people. We don't know that for sure. Um, so, but I think there's, there's still, a, you know, a, a good chance that, that there'll be some protection um, and that it will, it'll help some people at least fight um, coronavirus more effectively than they would otherwise do. So when you when you put those two things together, um, you know, and I'm I'm not just speaking um, for myself, but I, you know, it's it's true of it, the whole medical community. Really, I think we're all strongly um, recommending that the balance of, of risks and benefits is is, is really firmly in favour of, of having the vaccine. Um, and, and it's 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 hard to find a reason not to have it. Um, so so that that's 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 the purely medical uh, perspective on it. But I do do take on board the wider complexities of making these decisions that the pressure so um, um, skillfully articulated. I agree. Thank you. And that is our um, message to anybody as well. Anybody else who might be hesitant about that, please do get in touch with us or reach out on our. Um, various platforms to talk to others um, in a similar situation and we support you through that keep talking and asking the questions and we're, um, we're here to um, to help um, as much as possible um, but Andy I think that led us really nicely into the next um, question actually which where we do want to focus more on understanding effectiveness of these vaccines um, and whilst the rest of the UK has been, been given that um, that roadmap out of lockdown um, from the government, we know that there are other considerations for, for our community. Um, uh, uh, and some of that is around um, the, uh, how effective the vaccine actually may well be for them. Um, so the government has committed to... Um, funding um, research that's needed into this area and a study called Octave has been set up. Um, we at Blood Cancer UK are very aware that the, um, the spread of um, blood cancer conditions within, within Octave isn't as broad as um, it needs to be. So we are working with a number of different um, researchers to bring together a network to try and explore that and to ensure that there are studies set up across all blood cancers um, to get the data that we need to be able to answer some of those questions. We're also ensuring that we're bringing the priorities of our um, patient community 
into that conversation and, and using that data to answer some of those questions. And we'll use that to shape some of the um, work we need to do around recommendations for if long-term effective protection for our community as well. But I want to bring, uh, I want to come to you, Andy, actually to just get your perspective on why these studies and the research into effectiveness is so important and what you're hoping to see from them over the next few months. Sure. Thanks. So the, the key question, as we've already discussed, really, is to have a better understanding of how well uh, COVID vaccines work in different clinical situations in patients with different diseases at different points in their uh, treatment and, and, and after different treatments and so on. Um, so, so to do this, we need uh, research um, that, that, that tackles this, this, this problem. So we need to, um, to, to get at the, the, the end point here, which is, which is the clinical effectiveness of vaccines in different situations. That, that's quite a hard thing to get at directly. So what, what these, these studies are doing is, is really looking at the um, immune responses to, to COVID vaccines. So they're asking the question, how do COVID vaccines stimulate different parts of the stimulate different parts of the immune system in different situations so so we know that the the you know that the, the um, effectiveness of um, of, of uh, the immune system against covid is a complex business it involves uh, it can involve antibodies it can involve um, uh, other parts of the immune system t cells etc we don't know which of those um, elements of the immune system is most important in protecting us against COVID. So those studies are ongoing and, and, and hopefully before too much longer, we will start to, to understand that a bit better. But in the meantime, it's really important that we do these um, studies in blood in patients with blood cancer to understand how, how, they have, how the vaccines affect the immune system. Uh, how they affect the, the 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 B cell responses that produce antibodies, the T cell responses that that provide slightly different uh, type of protection, and then by by putting those bits of information together, we should be able to deduce how effective um, vaccines are in different clinical situations. Um, so it's quite complex, um, and it's going to take a little while. But at the end of the day, it, it should um, help patients with uh, difficult decisions that, that, that they have to make to do with, um, you know, how to avoid, uh, you know, how much uh, emphasis to place on, on mitigation strategies to avoid catching uh, coronavirus, or even how to, um, how to modify their cancer treatment to, to minimise the risks of, 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 of COVID and so on. So um, without these studies, we just we, we're just working in a, in a in a knowledge vacuum. So it's really important that we we get this information um, and make sure that the the the, the um, you know the collection of studies that that are mapped out um, are successful. So we need we need to um, make sure that they they get up and running as quickly as possible, and that they recruit effectively, and that the the um, uh, data is generated and analysed at the earliest opportunity, and also pulled together. So um, there's, there's an opportunity here um, for researchers in different areas to combine their data and produce, a, 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 you know, a more power to, to the research that they do. So all of that's ongoing. Thank you, Andy. That's really comprehensive. And I think um, just really important to emphasise the the. although we know that this all of this work is ongoing, um, but in the meantime, we want to look at different strategies to supporting people whilst we don't have that data and whilst we don't know 
Um, and I want to talk to Precious and Christian about that um, in a second. But before I do, um, you just mentioned there around antibody testing um, and thinking about the response from B cells and from T cells. We've had a lot of questions from people um, saying, should I get an antibody test? What is an antibody test likely to tell me? Um, could you just uh, tell us a little bit about your expectations about what blood cancer patients are likely to expect if they do get it and what that actually tells us about their response? Sure. So, um, as I said, the immune system has kind of two limbs to it. There's the, there's the B cells that make the antibodies, and the T cells that, that fight the virus in different ways. Antibodies are, are much easier to measure. Um, and that, that's really what's driven the, 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 the larger amount of information around antibodies. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's important to realise that it's only one part, of the, uh, one part of the equation. So easy to measure may or may not be the most important um, part of the immune system that, that fights the virus. Um, now, in healthy people, the, the antibodies and T cells are probably reasonably well coupled together. So if you, if you detect good antibodies chances are probably you've got reasonable T cells going on as well. Um, the problem in patients with blood cancer is that um, those, those things can be, become uncoupled. Um, so, for example, if, 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 if it turns out that T cells are more important than antibodies and you have a good antibody response, you might not be that well protected, but, but potentially think you are. So that could be a misleading situation to be in. Um, and and the, the converse is, is, is true. So, um, you know, if, if you don't have antibodies, you might have a good T cell response and actually be better protected than you, you, you think you are. Um, so I think it's really important to bear that in mind. So we, at the moment, we just don't know what it means um, to have a good antibody response. We don't know how that translates into clinical protection. We don't know that properly overall in healthy people. And we know even less about that in people with blood cancers and that, that that's really important to bear in mind uh, and understand um and of course you know um justifies why the, the the ongoing research is so important so we can start to unpick some of these these issues that's really helpful andy thank you um so precious maybe coming to you first just given some of the uncertainties that andy has mentioned there uh, around what data um, might be coming out and kind of the antibody and T-cell responses. Um, I think it's important to understand how, how you are coping um, with that uncertainty um, and what you are doing to support yourself um, whilst there aren't answers to those really important questions for our community. Have you got any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I'm just doing the best I can. Um... One thing I decided early on was I wasn't going to put an unnecessary pressure on myself. Um, I also decided I was going to curate uh, what news I got. Um, I, can't, I can't stop my mother sending messages on WhatsApp, but I can uh, put them on mute. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> messages, yeah, end of the week, just um, pick what you want and delete the rest. Um, yeah, and, and Daily Mail is only five minutes reading a day. Um, so I've just been really, really mindful about uh, what information I allow. I've also, uh, I also talk, talk, talk to people a lot. So I surround myself with people I can talk to and just share things when things get, get a bit heavy. Uh, another thing I did uh, last lockdown, which is still ongoing, I, I just invested in a garden. So I, I had a little patch of land uh, and I just spent money on it. So I've been trying to grow stuff. 
And the good thing about it is um, I don't have any pressure. So last year I had one cucumber <laughs> after, after, after a whole growing season. Um, but yeah, so I haven't managed to boycott Tesco yet. But it's just the, uh, the process of growing something, of having something to take my mind off uh, what's going on. And actually, when I go outside to, to grow stuff, people come around and, and have a chat. So I've actually, you know, had that opportunity to engage with people, even though we've been socially distancing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just, you know, tried to spend time looking after myself. Uh, when I feel anxious, I just acknowledge my anxiety. Mm-hmm. and do what I can um, but I think um, Christian said self-care is not a treat it's something that has to be done so I am spending time looking after myself and I'm not going for perfection so it's just about the process whatever makes me happy whatever is soothing for my soul in these times there's so much in there um, precious that I think is is so important to to think about and really useful to think about your how you're able to do that it's not kind of a blueprint for everybody how everybody should be coping but it's what makes you feel good what works for you um Christian I wondered if you could elaborate on some of that and maybe suggest some other techniques uh, that kind of self-soothing um uh, concept that you were talking about before um, was really interesting um, and any other thoughts that you might have on that absolutely and I think uh precious you described it beautifully um there any of my colleagues will tell you that I'm obsessed with self-care. It's, um, I think it's something that we often need to give ourselves permission to do because it feels self-indulgent or unimportant down our tick list of jobs that we should be doing. And um, sometimes self-care doesn't have to be at the top of your list. Um, I keep describing it as psychological bandwidth. I can't think of a better term. I'm sure there's a proper one that I should know, but there is very little psychological given in the world at the moment. People are finding things harder. It's harder to motivate yourself to do things. It's um, harder to take pleasure in things. And ironically, or kind of slightly unfairly, when when we're feeling most stretched, that's when the self-care becomes most important. Mm-hmm. So if everything's feeling easy, then you know, kind of doesn't matter if you have a few late nights or eat unhealthily, for example. But when things are feeling tough, um, that's when you need to find that balance between, like Precious says, not looking for perfection, not pushing yourself too hard. So having that self-compassion, but also thinking about and acknowledging what are the things that make you feel better. So I mentioned, um, diet and exercise, uh, diet and sleeping there. It's it's very dull, but I know for me, I need to go to bed at a reasonable time. As much as I love it, I can't live off Deliveroo because it makes me grumpy and um, that I need to take some exercise. And they are the my, my kind of basics. And I think that's true for lots of people, not everybody, of course. But what are the basic things that you need to do that allow you to function and cope. That soothe drive, that tends to be the one that people have the most trouble getting into. Because as I said, the threat drive, we automatically, it gets switched on without any help from us. Um, The threat system, sorry, the the drive system, we're more socialized into doing that. It works off dopamine. It's the kind of experience you get when you screw up a piece of paper and manage to throw it into a waste paper basket, even though you've 
stood up and picked it up four times. It's worth doing it because you get that, yeah, hit. But those kind of achievement-based things, we're more socialized into doing. Whereas the soothe system, which is the one that can regulate that threat system, um, we're often not so good at. Um, And self-care is really key in allowing us to tap into that um, soothe system. Uh, Some things that can kind of are generally suggested. So um, mindfulness is... uh, often very helpful. Um, I think it's suggested a lot. I've got to put my hands up. I am horrible at it. I, I reckon I do a six-week course every year and I'm just, it's just not for me. So don't feel bad if it's not. But um, any type of kind of breathing exercises, um, meditation, coloring, anything that's asking you to concentrate within that moment I would say um, be realistic about your expectations and what you're asking of yourself. Um, These things take practice. Um, So uh, there's a breathing technique called um, 478, which there are lots of videos on YouTube. And it takes about, you know, you're, you're asked to do it for a minute, a minute and a half. It's not an instant cure, but it's something that if you practice um, a lot of the people I work with before they go to bed, it can be very helpful because it it kind of helps you down regulate a little bit. Um, And often, even if it's little bits, you know, two or three minutes of um, counting your breath. um, There's also something called uh, five finger breathing, which is the only mindfulness technique uh, that I've ever got on with because it's concrete enough that I can manage it again, lots of them on YouTube. They're often good places um, to start. I would say if you hate it, don't keep going, (laughs) look for something else. So there's something about being present in the moment that can be helpful. Um, Structure and uh, having a bit of shape to your day can also be very helpful. Precious makes a really good point about not being too perfectionistic or too hard on yourself about it. But especially if one's feeling flat or anxious, actually trying to do anything is really difficult. And if you've also, if you're not forced to do anything, it's really hard to make yourself do anything. So you end up a bit awash. Um, Personally, um, I really like tick lists. Uh, I, I find them quite helpful of things that I think A, I want to do, B, I need to. It gives a sense of achievement and it also helps me structure, you know, evenings that used to be busy and now empty and yet I still seem to struggle to do things. So I find that quite helpful. Um, Timetabling things in uh, can be very good. Um, Again, this is me personally, but um, I think lots of people have found it helpful, you know, putting it in your diary so that you know you're going to do something. Um, That can be helpful in two ways. Um, First of all, like I said, having a bit of that structure. So it's not just endless time. You've got a bit of shape and a bit of difference to your day. That can really help lift our mood. Um, Also, if you put it in a diary or if you, for example, book into a Zoom art class on a Wednesday night, you make a, as people, if we make a public display, if we tell people we're going to do something, there's then a little bit of social pressure for us to do it. And actually, that can be really helpful because I think the thing with 
self-care is most people know what helps, but A, giving yourself the permission and B, actually getting yourself to go for that 20-minute walk. It can be really difficult. So having uh, something in a diary that you've told someone else that you're going to do it, that you've agreed with your husband that you'll do this on Thursday night, those things can help us um, slip into habits that help. Um, I would say when you start, I always encourage people when you're starting thinking about um, self-care, what helps you, um, do it at a point where you feel better. Because like I said, when we're in that threat system, our brain just wants us to get out of it. It's not a good point to be creative or um, to, you know, problem solve. They're not cognitive functions that uh, is easily accessed. So when you're feeling at a better point, um, write a list um, of things that you think might help or that could help. Um, The other thing that I always uh, suggest, which is, I think, helpful, um, if you think, well, I could think of five things that help, aim for 25, because actually what happens is if we say, let's think of five things that lift my mood or help me feel less anxious generally, um, we limit ourselves to five. If you go for 25, you'll end up putting down really small things, but it's, um, you know, it's eating an elephant. Lots of little things can lead to the bigger change. So not just thinking about, well, I'm going to do a yoga class. Also thinking about, I like having my morning cup of tea, um, in the garden, even it doesn't matter how small it seems. It's even if it makes you feel 1% better, that's great because it just keeps building. Christian, there's so much in there. And I really hope there's, it it feels like there's something achievable for everybody um, within some of the techniques that you, um, that you suggested. And that, that feeling that actually you might want to spend a bit of time thinking about what might work for you particularly when you're feeling in a better place that will help you to to manage when when maybe some of those anxieties do build up or you hear the latest coronavirus briefing or you're you're seeing a whole load of news um, come in, that they're the times where you can actually use some of those tools that you've thought about um, beforehand. So I hope that there's tools for everybody there. But also if there's people listening who feel like there's something that really works well for them, and share it please do share it I I should have mentioned um tap up your friends and family because often they're much better at pointing out things that you like or that you do or they can recognize patterns other people are often much better at recognizing patterns and they can point out to you and go oh yeah no I I I do enjoy this or I I do feel better when I've done x y or z so they can be really helpful Mm -hmm. Absolutely, completely agree. Um, and we do have a Blood Cancer UK online community forum as well, where there's lots of huge network of um, people affected by blood cancer who are sharing tips and um, things that work for them all the time. So if you haven't visited that yet, please do. Um, it's a really good source of support um, there. I just, I, I wanted to touch, but only briefly if if we can, um, on one thing um, that whenever it comes up on the news, we get an influx of, of calls and um, that is around um, mutations um, of the virus. 
And I think there's a lot of concern about what these mutations might mean in terms of spread, but also in terms of the effectiveness of the vaccine. Um, and as we start talking about um, tweaking vaccinations to um, better fight um, mutations of the of the, um, the coronavirus strain, we've got questions around what are the safety procedures that are in place to ensure that the vaccine remains safe. Um, so briefly, if possible, Andy, is there what would you say to somebody with that concern? Yeah, I, I mean to keep it brief. Um, there's nothing in, in relation to this that doesn't apply to healthy people, really. So you know these vaccines are likely to need tweaking, just like the seasonal flu. I think there are strong analogies with the seasonal flu virus. The tweaks are very, very small, and don't require extensive um, safety testing. There are robust um, structures in place and processes to make sure that that all of these tweaks are going to be going to result in safe um, vaccines. So I think I can be strongly reassuring that, that there's nothing going to come through this that, that, that needs to generate undue concern. Great. That's really helpful. Thank you, Andy. Understanding the effectiveness of the vaccine is, is one, it's a very important part of the puzzle, but it is just one part and there are other factors that are involved in how safe people in the blood cancer community might feel in kind of getting back to normality or some sense of normality um so what are your recommendations for your patients if they ask about the kind of what life might look like um next month for example and important to think about next month because of course the government is talking about the 31st of march being the date where they would they're likely to advise the end of um shielding um so what are the key factors you talk about with your patients around managing risks um kind of thinking about going back to normal thanks yeah it's a really really excellent uh, question and the key thing here is that there are no absolute rights and wrongs um there's no there's no divine wisdom here it's it's decisions need to be uh, individualized and t- tailored to individual circumstances and they should take into account um, competing risks and, and priorities. Um, so the sort of issues to think about are, first of all, what's the risk of, of acquiring the virus? Um, and that, I guess, depends on how much of it is around. So, you know, if we cast our minds back to last summer, everybody, you know, relaxed because there wasn't wasn't much of it around and the chances of picking it up were correspondingly low. Um there are issues, you know, another issue is, is how how close are you going to be in contact with with, with other people, um, you know, through work and so on? Um, and what precautions can, can be taken, you know, so is there scope for flexible working, you know, slight changes in roles that that, that puts put a little bit of distance between you and the general public and so on? So that, so there's the risk of, of, of sort of expi- exposure to the virus and the, the other issue is what would happen if if you actually caught the virus if you were exposed to it um and there the, the issues are how healthy how healthy is your immune system um you know there's a big difference between you know having had you know blood cancer treatment 20 years ago and being perfectly fit and well versus just having had a bone marrow transplant for example um, um and then there's the issue of, you know, um, I suppose coupled to that, how, how likely are you to be immune to, to the virus? Have, have you have you already had it? Have you had the vaccine? You know, what are the chances of you um, re- responding to the vaccine? And then let's not forget other risk factors as well. So it's not, you know, blood cancer isn't the only risk factor for 
having a, a worse outcome with COVID. You know, age is still important. Other other medical conditions are still important. Um, obesity, diabetes, you know, heart, lung, kidney problems, etc. So so it's part of a, a sort of bigger jigsaw. So, you know, the, these decisions are never easy, but they need to be, they need to take into account, account all of these factors and, you know, the pros and cons of, of, of doing one thing versus another just need to be weighed up and, and, in, and, and the decision needs, needs to be individualised. And, 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 you know, this requires, um, you know, internal consideration, but also benefits from discussion with um, family and also the the specialist teams that, that that are looking after people. So there's no there's no right or wrong here. It's it's a, it's a in, very individualised thing. Thank you, Andy. I think that was a really comprehensive answer of the types of questions that people need to ask themselves. And Christian, I want to come to you in a second. Um, just thinking about how people kind of own that and how people start to make that decision but before I do that I just want to come to Precious actually to think about what what kinds of considerations you're making um, particularly as that 31st of March date um, starts looming um, what kind of things are you considering around um, managing your own risk um, at this point? Um, I'm in a good position I'm I just joined a charity and we are going to stay we're going to work from home till July and even after July they're going to consult people one-to-one just to see how they can make things flexible so I'm in a in a good position I I I don't really want to be on the tube um, after that after after 29th of March to be honest Um, but again what Andy said it's an individual decision and I, I pray employers will be flexible and and supportive as well Absolutely. And I think um, what we always try and emphasise is the importance of that conversation um, and uh, and ensuring that you feel comfortable and confident with what you want to take to your employer um, and suggestions around um, support. So if anybody is struggling with those conversations, again, please do come through to our support services and we can um, help you think about how that conversation might um, might play out. Um, Christian, then just thinking about all of the factors that um, Andy has talked about and some of the concerns that Precious has voiced as well, we're asking people to think about their own risk and what they feel comfortable with. And that's that's quite difficult and different to maybe where we were um, at the start of the pandemic or, or um, earlier this year, where it, there was a much clearer guidance around shielding or um, going out and about or going back to work. How, how might you support your patients to manage their feelings about risk and about anxiety? Yes, it's it's much harder. And these are lots of the conversations that I've been having with people. Usually, um, outside of a pandemic, uh, decisions, whether a decision is being driven by um, risk factors or by an underlying kind of fear or anxiety, tends to look quite clear cut. Um, this is because there's so much that's so unknown, it does feel um, very gray. And I think that that makes it uh, really tough for people. I think what you've said about conversations is hugely important. Um, a lot of the things that I've been thinking about with the people um, I work with, um, first of all, sources of information is really important. So 
using Bloodwise, talking to your medical team. Quite a lot of the time, um, me and the people I work with will put together sets of questions. And uh, I think that, that can be really helpful to do with someone else because um, one of the ways anxiety wants to stay around, if it's there, it wants to um, keep its feet under the table. And one of the ways that um, it can do that is um, you can get these spiraling thoughts that escalate. What you're thinking about or what the anxiety is pushing you towards is not impossible and it's not silly. It's just, um, as Andy was talking about, kind of the way up. It's moving too far down one uh, route. So if you, um, you know, thought about your risk too much about how dangerous it is walking down the street because you might get run over by a car, which you could do, you might never leave your flat. However, you'd miss out on the joy of being alive if you never left the flat. So the risk of, yes, but I'll walk on the pavement and I'll cross the road. And I know that that's a silly example, but I think that that's um, a really obvious way of illustrating when a genuine concern, I'm not going to play on the M25. Yep, sensible. That's that's thinking about what I need. And when it can kind of end up in the nth degree. Um, so the things that help, yes, yeah, so definitely where your um, sources of information are from. Thinking about what the underlying question is you've got, because if it's, am I going to be 100% safe? It's really difficult, but no, because we're not ever 100% safe from um, the environment. Um, and it's about finding that balance. I would say if, you know, um, it's not suitable or someone doesn't feel uh it's too much of a risk to be going back to work. I think that's, you know, all depends on individuals. That's perfectly sensible. Um, I think one of the other things people can start thinking about is, was, you know, as the rates come down, if you've been able to have a vaccine, et cetera, what are the things that I could safely do? So if you've been um, not going for a walk in the park on a Saturday, what would it be like pushing yourself to do something, not something risky, not something um, that you're really uncomfortable with, but maybe pushing that anxiety a little bit because it's really hard shielding. It's um, being isolated, but it can also end up as a sort of, um, or certainly what I, I've been told by the people I work with is it can feel like a safe cage almost. It's not that people want to stay there and they'd love to be able to, go out and see people and but it also does feel safe and it feels a bit protected and um i think it's important to remember that you don't have to go from not you know entirely shielding to working in an office with 45 people and getting on the tube every day um that would be too big a um jump even if it you know from a purely uh psychological point of view that would be a lot to ask yourself to do so thinking about um taking those little steps, what is safe, but might feel a little bit challenging? What can I do to make that feel manageable? And so that I can push myself to do it so that the world outside stops becoming this kind of scary, threatening place, which I think it would be very understandable if that's how people felt about it, because that's, that's what we've been told for so long. Like, think, again, spending that time thinking about what those steps could be and what feels right for you um is is absolutely vital um 
Uh, so thank you so much for sharing that. We have we've got a lot more questions um, on our list, but I think um, actually at this point, I want to close some of the questions that we've got um, that we've got here. But to just talk, just ask our panel to all just think about a key message um, that we want anybody who's listening to ensure that they take away with them um just to make sure that we get the most important points across um so could i ask um andy to go first on that um a key message from you andy sure so i guess the the, the top message is is have the vaccine unless there's a very very good reason not not to and secondly uh, you know i think everybody has to accept that that decisions in this in the under these circumstances are based on on risk management and and it's important to consider risk in a balanced way there's a risk of doing something a risk of not doing it and 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 i just encourage everybody to think very carefully about how competing risks and priorities stack up in, in this situation of evolving uncertainty thank you very much indeed um precious could i come to you for a key message please yeah, I think what Andy said as well, I think educate yourself, uh, read as much as possible. Um, it's your choice to make, but do make sure, you know, your choices are informed. Um, it's risky, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to tell anyone to have the vaccine, but I would say just read as much as possible and do what is right for you. But also uh, make sure you have enough support as well. Speak to people, you know, don't just... You know, sitting, you know, sitting in a little bubble. There are people who know more than you do. There are people who've walked that walk. So speak to people, ask questions, and make your choice. Thank you. Really important message there. Um, and Christian, can we finish with you, please? Um, well, I obviously have to say self-care because it's my favorite thing in the entire world. But um, as well as that, I think self-compassion is really important at the moment. I think that. Um, especially people, you know, within my service, they put a huge, they take a lot on. Um, they're not reaching out for help um, or support when they could be. And um, they're kind of expecting themselves to be operating as if, as if this, well, you know, I could normally manage this. You, It's okay to be finding this difficult. This is an incredibly difficult situation. And um, acknowledging that, doesn't change the situation, but it can make it easier. Um, and I know we we mentioned this when we spoke before. What I often say to people is, okay, imagine someone is describing the situation you're in, but instead of you being in the situation, it's your best friend or your colleague or your child or your spouse. And imagine they're in that situation and they're saying, and I'm feeling like I can't make a decision or I'm feeling really scared of the outside world because I think that often um, people end up being, it's much easier to be compassionate to someone else than to yourself. So imagine someone else is in, uh, is describing your situation to you. What would you be saying to them? And then it's about having a strict word with yourself and telling yourself that it's okay to give yourself that same kind of kindness and um, time. I think that was such a good um, set of insights to end on from all three of you. And I and I hope there's something to take away 
for everybody listening. Um, I hope there was some relevant points and some relevant support tools to help yourself as you're managing the uncertainty that's coming from not knowing how effective vaccines might be, but also in terms of that the um, the timeline around the, the 31st of March and shielding potentially ending. We are in a time of, of a lot of uncertainty, but there are a lot of support tools um, available to you as well, one of which will be your treating team. Um, there will be, uh, we would recommend going, talking to friends and families, talking to our Blood Cancer UK online community, talking to us on our um, support services. You can contact us through the phone, through email, through social media. However you want to get in touch, please do. If you have questions, that's exactly what we're here for. Um, and and please do sign up to our newsletter as well to hear more, to get more information about what is coming um, out of some of that research um, that we're that we're um, looking into. Um, so I hope people found that session helpful. Um, but we're we're still all here um, to speak to if if anyone else wants to reach out. And I wanted to just take the last minute just to thank all of our fabulous panellists um, who've been so supportive today um, and have shared some really important insights. So Andy, Christian and Precious, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Um, really appreciate your time and the time of everybody else for listening. So I hope it was useful. Thank you very much.